Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Uh, my name is Jeff Perlman, author of Gunslinger, and you are listening to The Jake Brown Show. We remind you to check out Kumo, Kumo Tires. What does the road to success for an NFL player look like? Kumo Tires will give you that behind-the-scenes look at what fuels a player's road to success with player style files presented by Kumo Tires. See what it takes to be a running back in the NFL as Rashad Jennings of the Giants does as they take you on their road to success. Kumo Tire presents how tire training helps athletes improve mobility, balance, strength, and performance. Visit Kumo Tire, K-U-M-H-O, tire.com to learn how Quality tires can improve your car's performance. Better traction, better grip, better control, less noise. Kuma Tire, better always. And they have tires to help you drive through the toughest road conditions with better grip, control, handling, balance for a more comfortable ride. They have the tires to make your ride safer and more tractable. When it comes to finding the right tire for your favorite ride, exceptional handling in all conditions, Kumo has a tire for you. They have a variety of Products and patterns to choose from, ultra-high performance, all-terrain, mud-terrain, on-off performance, road performance in different weather conditions. They have what you need. Whether you're a passenger car, luxury car, race car, truck, SUV, crossover, make your life easier and your ride better. For even better traction and performance in all seasons and all weather conditions, Kumo has the tire for you, high quality at better value. Try the PS91 for ultra-high performance. For all-terrain, try the AT51. Love mud and snow? How about the MT-51? Something for everyday commute and cruising? The TA-11. So visit Kumo, K-U-M-H-O-U-S-A.com slash dealer today. And now Jeff Perlman joins us on the Jake Brown Show. And welcome to the Jake Brown Show, everybody. Play.it slash Jake Brown iTunes, Spotify is where you find us. Uh, Earlier in the week you heard professional poker player and uh, the beautiful Beth Shack. Um, and now a pre-Thanksgiving special here with a man who's wrote a ton of books and most recently wrote the book Gunslinger, which tells us the remarkable and probable iconic life of some guy named Brett Favre. Uh, it is Jeff Perlman. Jeff, what's going on, man? Is it Brett Favre or Brett Favre? Favre, because my mom, as I was working on the book, my mom, who's not a sports fan, would say, uh, who you, I was trying to tell Ellen who you're writing a book about. Is it? Is it Brian Favor, Brett Favre? <laughs> I mean, I had that conversation, some variation of that conversation with my mom about 830 times. Well, I'll say early in my football years, I probably called him Brett Favor because, I, I mean, I wasn't out watching sports and all the time. I probably am guilty of saying it, uh, and I'm sure yeah. many, many of us are. Uh, and it's, you and my it's, mother. It's a fine crime. All right, that's that's good company, the, the, the mm-hmm. Mrs. Perlman. Uh, yep. Go get the book. Uh, I always like to say, wherever books are sold, uh, Amazon. That's correct. Kindle, uh, where else? Where else is there? Barnes and Noble. Uh, yeah, local shoe store. Whatever. You know, there's Borders used to be my favorite, and they went out of business. I know it's kind of sad. And uh, in fact, Borders. I used to live in New Rochelle, and uh, we had a KS Borders where I actually wrote probably fifty percent of my book on the Dallas Cowboys, yeah. and uh, thing went out of business, and it's been a, it's been a ghost town ever since. <laughs> my dad used to take us. He said, if you uh, 
if you guys clean your rooms, I'll get you each a book at Borders, and we go to Borders yeah. every Saturday. That was like the tradition. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, um, those days are long gone now. Everything is read on a phone, on a Kindle, on an iPad. Um, so go check out the book. Let's let's talk about the book because the fact that you gather 573 people to talk to uh, one must have took an insane amount of time, right? Yeah, to two years, to, to two to two and a half years. Um, usually, it's two and a half of interviewing people, so that's the big part. Is and then I'll take the last six months or so to write. So it was, yeah. I mean, it's a it, these projects are a beast. If you want to do them right, uh, or even hope to do them right, you you have to make the calls and you have to put in the effort. I mean, I I'm a fan of, of biography. I've always been a fan of biographies, and uh, I'm not saying I belong in their company. I'm truly not. But they're like, like you know, Richard Ben Kramer on Joe DiMaggio or uh, Manning Marable on Malcolm X. Like there are books that great biographies. Jane Levy on Mickey Mantle and. You can't just interview 30 people. You can't just interview 50 people. You have to find everyone who's everyone who's everyone to really get a good portrait of a person. I and mean, it just it, there's no other way to go about it. And what's interesting about it is he hardly interests you at first. From what I've read, that you, you didn't really uh, have interest in Brett Favre. What what made you take a complete 180 and write a book about him? Yeah, so uh, that's strange. First of all, I just want you to know the beeping in the background is me picking up my daughter. Okay. Um, <laughs> is it, are I, you driving I, around a minivan right now? No, I am driving in a Prius. Oh, my goodness. I'm driving. Why? Is that uh, bad? I mean, it's not. Uh, I guess better than a minivan, but. Uh, I'm being environmentally conscious. All right, that's, conscious. that's fair. That's fair. All right, yeah, come on, come on, break. <laughs> um, my, uh, my dream sports book is a book about an old football league called the USFL. Okay. Have you ever heard of it? You ever yeah. hear of the USFL? I have, yes. And. Um, that's a book I really wanted to write. That was a league where that guy gave us Steve Young and Jim Kelly and Reggie White and a ton of guys. But I can't deal for it. Nobody would give me a book deal for the USFL. My agent actually said to me at one point, Jeff, no one has a book deal on the USFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what I did was I said, well, maybe if I put a better, a better, maybe if I piece two books together, I have a chance. So I thought about Favre and he was iconic and big name and there's never been a book done on him, a definitive book done on him. And I got a deal for both of them. I got a two-book deal. And I wasn't that into doing Favre. Uh, I did it because it got me the USFL deal. And then once I started working on it, I really came to love it. So it was like this serendipitous discovery where I wasn't, I didn't want to do it. I wasn't into doing it. And now I'm extremely happy I did. What was Brett's reaction uh, when you talked to him? I didn't. So here's exactly what happened. There's another reason you interviewed. So basically, I would say the vast majority of definitive biographies done on people either occur when the person is dead or the person doesn't cooperate. It's very rare where a guy is going to say, all right, so just so I understand, you're doing a biography on me. I'm not going to get a dime from it, and I don't have control over the final product. Yeah, that's, a, that's pretty much it. Like, it's hard to get people to agree to do that, you know? Um, I reach out to Farber, but you always try. I reach out to Farber very early in the process, sent him a note, never heard anything. Then I actually had a bunch of interviews arranged with him. Um, he works for a website called Score, and they arranged three different uh, interviews with me, and I was blown off every time. Uh, in the meantime, I, I reached out to his sister, Brandy, on Facebook, became friends with her, and when I was in Mississippi, she invited me to their house. So I actually went to Brett Favre's house, was there with the sister, with the mother, ended up having uh, lunch with both his brothers, uh, cousins, aunts, uncles, and then toward the end of it all, I actually got a letter, or well, a text from Brett, telling me he wasn't going to help but by then i kind of knew he wouldn't so 
What has, have you talked to him since the book's been released? No, I've heard absolutely zero from him. Really? It's have... Literally zero. It's very interesting because I really, I've had different reactions from different people over the years. So a lot of my books I've had help. Some books I haven't. And um, I wrote a book about Roger Clemens years ago. Uh, and Clemens blasted me on Twitter. And I found that kind of hmm. fun. I wrote a book about Barry Bonds. Never heard a word from him. I found that frustrating. I always think if you're a pro athlete and you want to annoy the guy who wrote about you, <laughs> pretend he doesn't exist. <laughs> the best way to go about it. So I'm not annoyed, but that's probably the, that's what I would do. But I've heard from his family. His family members seem happy with the book. What? So maybe he is. Uh, his father was like a, a celebrity figure, right? Uh, I would say in Green Bay he was. I mean, he uh, his dad was his coach in high school, and he was this guy, this really big guy, always had a beer in his hand, kind of loud bragged a lot, um, and coached Brett in high school. And then when Favre, when Brett became a Packer, his dad, Irv Favre, actually started doing local media. And he did the uh, he did the post-game shows in Green Bay. Hmm. And he used to get drunk while doing the shows. So they actually limited him that he could not drink after halftime. Hmm. So um, because he would, you know, he'd be on the air and he'd be slurring his words and you never knew what he was going to say. He was kind of entertaining because he would rip into his son. You know, he wouldn't always, if Brett played badly, he wouldn't be like, well, you have to understand. He'd be like, my son, he needs to get his head off of his ass. He needs to figure this out, blah, blah, blah. He was a really interesting character. You know, he wasn't the most loyal husband. He wasn't always the best dad, but he was a fascinating guy to write about. Hmm. Jeff Perlman, New York Times bestselling author, joining us. Follow him on Twitter at Jeff Perlman, jeffperlman.com. Um, go get Gunslinger. Uh, what, what made him so iconic? I mean, we know he's been around so long. He came back like 10 times from retirement. Uh, but what about him was so iconic when you, when you wrote about him? Right. So I actually love that question because, um, it's kind of weird. Like, uh, wait, how old are you? 25. Okay. Would you say Ken Griffey Jr. is iconic? Uh, it's borderline, borderline. Right. Would you say Favre is? Yes, I guess. All right. So here's the weird thing about it all. See, it's a very interesting question. Griffey and Favre had almost identical careers in different sports, yeah. right? They, um, they both went in the Hall of Fame the same year. They both almost unanimous. You know, there, was no, there were no holes in their games. There were no holes in their resumes. They were all around great players for long periods of time. And yet, for some reason, and Griffey was one of my favorite players to cover. When I was at Sports Illustrated, I covered him with the Mariners a fair amount. For some reason, Griffey isn't iconic and Favre is. And I can't, it's almost like you know it when you see it but you don't know why, you know, like why is Joe Montana an icon, but Steve Young isn't quite, you know, like why is, I don't even know. Why is Willie Mays iconic, but Duke Snyder isn't to go old school. Like certain guys are. And I think a lot of it has to do with how you play the game and how fans relate with you. And, you know, Favre in green Bay was beloved. He wasn't just beloved. He was embraced. He was part of it. He was part of the fabric of that community. Um, when you thought of the Packers, you thought of Favre, and you wanted to have a beer with him. And you probably saw him having a beer somewhere if you lived in Green Bay. Uh, and you probably bought him a beer, you know? And maybe you saw him drunk hooking up with your ex-girlfriend. Like, it was that kind of thing. And Griffey was just a great player who was really fun to watch. So I think Favre, the way he played, the way he presented himself, the way he ingrained himself in the community, he just everything about him, good and bad, sort of formulated this iconic figure. Yeah, and I think some of it has to do with personality. I feel like Griffey wasn't maybe as outspoken. Uh, Griffey, end of his career, didn't end too too great because of all the injuries he compiled towards the end there. Uh, so maybe that factors in. Um, 
I don't know. It's yeah. a hard one because Griffey was was joyful. You know, Griffey with a hat backwards. He played with a lot of panache and a lot of flair. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played for a long time. He was the face of the Mariners. But for some reason, to me, he just goes down as a super, super duper star player and an all time great, but maybe not an icon. You dedicated two years to this book. I would say two to two and a half, all told. That that's mind boggling to me. Is that's because I have no life. <laughs> Well, is that the longest you've spent on a single book? No, I put uh, three years into Walter Pate. So, mm. uh, that was a little bit longer. But, uh, yeah, it's the second most interviews I've done for a book. Walter Pate and I did about 700, and this was like 573. Jesus but God. I take a lot of pride in calling people. And I people are like, wow, you call a lot of people. And I would say, yeah, but I, but I really enjoy it. You yeah. know, like it's really fun for me. Like finding people, the hunt, getting little nuggets about people, little pieces of information here and there. It's to me, it's the joy of it all. It's really fun, and I imagine that all adds up in this book. What will readers uh, will they be surprised to learn something, and what will they be surprised by? Well, I, I think they'll be surprised by a lot. I mean, you don't interview almost six hundred people and, and regurgitate, you know, a lot of stuff. I mean, you know, Favre in high school uh, never threw the ball. He played for his dad, and his dad just didn't know what he had. So his last two years, he handed off almost all the time. He uh, he. Uh, he threw on average four to five times a game, you know, so he never threw the ball. He was completely unrecruited out of high school. Nobody was interested in him. Southern Miss stumbled upon him at the last minute. That's the only reason they even knew he existed or anyone offered him a scholarship. So there's a ton there. I mean, he's just like this, this accidental superstar, you know, that's pretty much what he is. He's an accidental superstar. There's no reason to think Brett Favre would become Brett Favre. You know, it doesn't happen anymore. Now offenses run like these. They run spread offenses in high school, and guys are throwing the ball 30 times a game, and you'll have USC. and U- I mean, Brett Favre, when he was coming up, if he was coming up now, he'd be throwing a ton, and every college recruiter would be at these games, and he'd be playing at USC or Miami or somewhere like that. You know, it's, it's a different time period. What was Brett's relationship like during the brief time with Aaron Rodgers? Uh, not great. You know, Rodgers was, brought along, Rodgers was brought along to replace him, you know, and Favre had never had a guy come along to replace him. So it was awkward and kind of weird, you know, and uh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't natural. You know, the yeah. backups in Green Bay had always been guys like uh, Craig Nall, Doug Peterson, guys like that. So um, to all of a sudden have this guy come along and uh, he's challenging you for the job, and he's really good, you know. It was like a very sort of awkward thing, and Favre did not make – life easy for Aaron Rodgers he certainly did not so uh it was not great what's one thing you learned that you were shocked by that you learned about Brett when doing this book all right so this is going to sound dumb but um because people always want when they ask that question they want big things but I have like little things like uh Brett Favre knew all the lyrics to Tupac songs <laughs> you know he was a big Tupac Shakur fan there's a the first ever rap song was Rapper's Delight and there's a 15 minute version of Rapper's Delight of course he knew every word to Rapper's Delight all 15 um, minutes yeah, he knew the whole impressive. thing. He was like, so you, you see him and you think, oh, kind of this white guy from the backwoods of Mississippi, which he was. Yeah. But he was much more than that. You know, he really sort of engaged himself with teammates, uh, African-American, white, old, young. He had this sort of way about him. Um, and he was really into hip-hop. His favorite movie was New Jack City. Huh. You know? It's just wow. so weird. Yeah. So, um, I don't know, there's a lot there. It's just, a, I mean, there's a little things, but that... When I found out that his favorite movie was New Jack City and he knew all the words to, to Rapper's Delight, I thought there's more to this guy than you would think. 
Yeah, that is absolutely stunning. Um, but w- was there anything when you were you writing the book that you, you think you had to leave out, like a deleted scene in the book that you couldn't put in there? Oh, yeah, many. First of all, part of it is because you, uh, you can't write a 900-page book. Like, I could have doubled this book. I truly could have. Um, also, you know, he... Uh, you know, he went out a lot, and he did a lot. There was a lot of infidelity. There was a lot of drinking. Um, and there are a lot of stories. Like, there comes a point where you're just piling it on. You know, um, I don't need to tell every drunk Brett Favre story. I don't need to tell every uh, girl he had on the road story. Um, so, yeah, I didn't, I, you know, you at some point you become the National Enquirer and get away from your purpose, which is to sort of define and tell who this person was in a in a are real, but also you're not trying to, you're not trying to bury someone, you know? Mm. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff. I, I just, you don't have to use it all. Jeff Perlman joining us here on the Jake Brown show played at it. iTunes and Spotify. Um, for you, what was most gratifying about this book getting released? Oh, well, I mean, I mean, it just made the New York times bestseller list, which is sort of, you know, like, uh, you get greedy as you do this and that becomes like the benchmark. Is it going to make the list? Is it not going to make the list? Also, you know, you get calls from people who knew far well and say, you nailed it. You know, I love that. You nailed it. You got it right. This book was on. Um, and I've got a good number of those calls. Was, what's, I was like, let's continue, sorry. Were you still going? I, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, what was the biggest critique that you got on the book? Oh, man. Um, well, I had one thing wrong. So that was annoying, but I don't mind adjusting it. I, uh, there was one timeline thing that was wrong. I had Aaron Rodgers saying to him, there's a, there's a scene in the book when Rodgers meets Favre, and he really annoys Favre because he says, good morning, Grandpa. Because he says, good morning, Grandpa, to <laughs> greet him. Mm-hmm. And um, Favre hated that. And I had it happening at OTAs. I had it happening during OTAs, and it actually took place during uh, training camp. It was the second day of training camp, not the second day of OTAs. So I had... When that came out, Rogers said, hey, this is all wrong, blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't all wrong. I just had the wrong date. So when you report a book really hard and you get a thing like that wrong, even though it, didn't, it doesn't sort of affect uh, the narrative or the meaning behind the words, it's very frustrating. So I would say that is a bit of a bummer, if I'm being honest. Where, where does he rank amongst the great quarterbacks ever? Is he in your top five, top ten? He's probably around ten. You know, it's kind of funny. I've said this a bunch. It's like when you write a book on someone, everyone expects you. They ask you that question. They expect you to say, oh, he's got to be top one or two. I don't really see it that way. I think Montana was better. I think Unitas was better. I think Steve Young was probably better. I think Aaron Rodgers might be better. Um, I think Marino was better. I think Elway was better. I, there were a lot of quarterbacks who were better who you would take in a big game over fire. But um, if you're saying to me, who is the most entertaining great quarterback of all time? Like, Who is the quarterback? you would pay money to see and feel like you're definitely going to get your dollars worth or your hundred dollars worth. Uh, I think it's five. So is he the greatest? No. Is he top 10? Yeah, probably. Is he the most entertaining of all those guys? I think without a doubt, without a doubt. Will anyone beat his 397 straight starts? No, no, no one's going to come close to starting more games than he did. It's uh, nah, impossible. Impossible. Actually, it just is. I mean, a hundred years from now, maybe, but in the near, in the near, uh, in the near or somewhat distant future, it just—he was just insanely tough. 
And also painkillers were more available when he was playing than they are now. You know, they've, they have come back over the years on the availability of uh, Vicodin drugs like that. So toughness plus Vicodin equals a streak like that. Did, were you told stories about that and, and the, the use of painkillers with him? Of course. Mm-hmm. Um, he used a lot. I mean, he started in 92. Well, first he almost died in a car accident his senior year in college uh, mm-hmm. when he was at Southern Miss. And that's when he first sort of got a taste of it with morphine. And uh, But he, he, he didn't use it as a player. And then in 92, in a game against the Eagles, he got sacked by Andy Harmon and Reggie White. And after the game, he was given Vicodin for the first time. And uh, it took very quick. It was not a long process for him to become an addict. And uh, But before long, he was popping, at times, 13 pills, 15 pills, throwing it up, uh, eating the undigested pills out of his pile of vomit. Uh, you know, he was a full-fledged addict. And he went to rehab twice to get over it. So he did get over it. Jeff Perlman joining us. What, what was your reaction when you read Aaron Rodgers' comments to uh, him saying some of the stuff in the book was highly sensationalized? Um, yeah, it was bullshit. That wasn't true. That actually really annoyed me because, uh, like I just said, the date, it took place in the first day of training camp, not the first day or second day of training camp, not the second day of OTAs. That was it. That's it. Um, so, yeah, it was annoying. I was annoyed. I uh, also... I went up to Aaron Rodgers at a golf tournament in California, uh, maybe more than a year ago now. Told him what I was working on. He said he would he would talk to me. He told me who to call. I uh, I called nothing. Called again nothing. So if you're going to complain, number one, don't BS about it. And number two, you had the chance to talk to me. This wouldn't even have been an issue. He didn't blow me off twice. So I'm annoyed that there was a, a slight error. It pisses me off. But uh, he was he's full of crap. Well, we we need to get you at Lambeau Field then and get you on the field or something. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I don't have to beat Aaron Rodgers up. That would get awkward. Oh, man. Well, at this point, you might as well. The way he's playing, the way that team yeah. is playing. I mean, it's, it's exactly. disaster. What, I mean, what's wrong with the Packers right now? Is it just the defense? What is it? I have no idea. I mean, I the one thing I don't hear people talking about, and I'm not saying it's a reason, but, uh, you know, Rodgers, he's been around a long time now, and guys do get old. You know, and there's a long history. We always we get spoiled with guys like Brady and, and Favre and Manning. Uh, but there's a more pronounced history of quarterbacks fading after eight, nine years in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, much more common. I mean, I can name a million quarterbacks from Trey Aikman to Neil Lomax to Ken O'Brien to Phil Sims, guys who, you know, once you hit sort of your early to mid-30s, you lose a little zip on the ball. Your feet get a little rushed. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm not saying that's Aaron Rodgers. But I do think um, no one's talking about just the amount of time he's been in the NFL. He's been a long time. He's got a lot of hits. He's played a lot of games. Maybe he's just not the guy he was. Yeah, time flies by when Aaron Rodgers is getting old. It feels like just yesterday he stepped on the field. Um, Jeff Perlman, go get his book, Gunslinger, out now on Amazon, on Barnes & Noble, Kindle, wherever books are sold. Follow him on Twitter, at Jeff Perlman. Uh, Jeff, it was good talking about the book. Good, uh, good talking with you. Thanks for coming on the show, man. All right, thanks for having me. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.